What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Homa game. Max Homa wins at Riviera, cashing a Sunday ticket for the show. I'll break it down from a betting perspective and the idea of getting a discount with golfers on top of their game against top brand name guys who don't have their A game. Then it's a look at a nice college hoop Saturday and why it could have been nicer if I hadn't been scared off by discrepancies in my numbers. Then it's let's do that hockey, why a bloodbath on the record wasn't as bad for the model. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. And it's a weekend recap. It used to be the Sunday recap when it comes to just the NFL. we got a handful of sports that we get to talk about nowadays and can run through them. Uh, we'll get, of course, to the let's do that hockey model rough weekend there. But we'll talk about sort of the difference between bad play versus bad luck with regards to hockey. Obviously, luck being uh, a higher percentage um, of the reason that these teams win or lose in the NHL more than any other sport. College basketball we'll talk about in a short second here as well. 11-4 and on Saturday, and then 0-2 gave a couple back on Sunday. Probably should have just taken our 11-4 and and walked with it. That being said, you know, kind of can't stay away when, uh, when you think you're feeling it a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first, I want to kind of go sideways here on you a little bit. I want to talk about golf. Now... You know, first and foremost, tweeted out yesterday, uh, Max Homa plus 800 for uh, the win yesterday, and he comes through. And I don't have favorite athletes. Uh, I don't want to, you know, be a dick about it here, but like, I'm kind of too old for favorite athletes when the athletes are younger than you are. It, it sort of feels um, a little bit ridiculous to sort of call somebody your favorite athlete. And when we're betting the way that we do, it's really more important that these guys win me money. And so whoever my whoever makes me money is going to be my favorite athlete. And so to say that, you know, Max Homa is is probably my favorite golfer in sort of the purest sense of the term does sort of little, you know, sound a little bit strange coming out of my mouth, but it's actually quite true. And it's pretty simple. Um, for those that don't know, Max Homa does a weekly podcast called Get a Grip Podcast. You can check it out. It's really good. And uh, he does that with Shane Bacon, who you might remember from Fox Golf coverage. He's with uh, Golf Channel now, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, as somebody who, before he started his own podcast, obviously was a, you know, diehard, however you want to put it, um, you know, podcast listener. And first of all, obviously, I respect the medium, but I also respect people who are willing to sort of put themselves out there in that way. And especially as a professional golfer, where or a professional athlete really of any kind, where you're making enough money, you don't need to do the podcast, you're doing it because you want to. Yeah, and obviously they're going, you know, he's going to make money off of the podcast, and it's a little bit more reliable than, you know, professional golf and being on the tour. And that's obviously something that, you know, if it's not going well, can be a really rough gig. Like we see him winning a million bucks here, uh, you know, winning the Genesis Open. And we forget that you can go an entire season as he has by, you know, missing just an absolute ton of cuts and not making a ton of money. And so my point is, if you're, you know, committing to the podcast on a weekly basis, 
you're then going to talk about how your weekend went. And so it's a lot like this podcast or, you know, any sort of sports betting podcast where it's like, yeah, if the weekend didn't go well, like the microphone still has to turn on on Monday. And fortunately for this podcast, like we have our reasons for the bets that we make. I think they are pretty well thought out. I think you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't think that they were well thought out. And I don't know that you're even making the same bets, but you're taking some of the theories and some of just the general discussion and putting it towards making your own bets. For a guy like Homa, that's not the case. Like I'm not listening to the podcast so that I can become a better golfer. I'm listening to the podcast because he's an interesting guy, uh, a genuine person. And, uh, you know, when he, when he has the day that he does yesterday, I'm dying to hear what his thoughts are before I even know whether or not he won because it was that type of a day. And so, you know, just to talk about it a little bit in case you missed it, because again, you know, listen, you're listening to this, maybe it's for hockey, maybe it's for basketball, who knows, it might not necessarily be for golf. And, you know, as the summer gets closer, we'll ramp up a little bit more and more golf stuff. But, you know, it's not that different from like college basketball, where we're dipping our toe in early on in the season. And so for me right now, my golf handicapping, if you will, comes down to selecting, and I talked about this, I believe, last week, but comes down to selecting someone to make the cut in my one-and-done um, survivor pool for golf, where you need to pick a different golfer every week to make the cut. And so uh, I tweeted, you know, as part of that tweet, I sort of alluded to last year, um, the Genesis Open final round was the last live sporting event that I have been to. Uh, my partner Emily and I went down to California, we went to a UCLA basketball game, and then we went to the Sunday final round, you know, followed Tiger around for a bit, you know, sat on the uh, hillside on 18 uh, at Riviera, obviously got to walk around Riviera, obviously a, sort of a top, you know, golf course in the country, and Adam Scott won the tournament. And so, you know, I'm going and I'm looking through who am I going to pick this week. And my general strategy has been pick the favorite. Whoever the favorite is, just pick them and, you know, sort of consider it, you know, from a betting standpoint. If I'm just trying to get somebody through to the weekend, just take the favorite. But there's a couple of different instances where I'm going to make an exception for it. The first is, you know, some of these top guys, when it's a full field type event, on a non-major weekend, I don't really want to take a guy who I'm not sure cares all that much about whether he makes or misses the cut, right? Like, I'm certainly not taking Brooks Kepka, for example, if it's not a major. I might as well just save him for the U.S. Open, for the Masters, etc. Same kind of deal with Dustin Johnson. And he, of course, made the cut, so it's somewhat of a moot point, but I want to save Dustin Johnson for when I think Dustin Johnson is super locked in because we've seen before all it takes is a first round 77 for Dustin Johnson to pack it in and uh, and head home. And it, that's the way it worked out, you know, sort of obviously in retrospect, but that's the way it worked out for Bryson DeChambeau, for Justin Thomas, who I have some concerns about since, you know, I think he's a relatively sensitive guy who got who made a pretty stupid comment on uh, on a golf course that got him, you know, 
got him in some hot water, and rightfully so. Uh, and Rory McIlroy as well missed the cut there. So trying to avoid those guys was a decent strategy, even if Dustin Johnson uh, made the cut. But the point is, is that my decision was between Max Homa, who, you know, again, it's been uh, talked about enough here in the last 12 or to 24 hours, you know, hometown guy, and he's been playing really well in the California swing. And so I felt like he was going to make the cut. But, you know, down down the list at 60, 65 to 1, you know, that'd be a pretty big departure from my uh, strategy of just picking the favorite. And so I went with Adam Scott, who won the tournament last year, and I did it basically sort of almost in a karmic way, knowing that, you know, we had seen him play on the course we know, obviously, that he plays the course well. There is some sort of karmic element of, okay, the last guy I saw physically do anything athletic, um, you know, in a major sporting event with my own eyes, you know, on location was Adam Scott putting out at 18 uh, a year ago. So I'm like, you know what, if he takes me down this week, then, all right, I can live with that, essentially. And... Friday was a sweat. He was one shot below the cut line, headed into 16. Makes a, you know incredible tee shot to about eight feet uh makes the birdie putt pars the rest of the way and makes the cut uh on the number and then does nothing the entire weekend he may have finished dead last for all i know uh meanwhile max homo was in the top five top ten throughout the first second round like easily made the cut and was just in general contention and you know i talked about it about this sort of with Berger last week in picking him to make the cut and then just saying, you know what, let's just throw some money on him to win because I want to be more interested if my guy does so well in the first two rounds that he ends up contending over the course of the weekend. And so, uh, you know, I did that with Berger. We ended up cashing with him. So this is sort of the second straight week that we've been able to cash kind of a mid-level price. Now, I didn't bet Homa at 60 to 1, but I sort of regretted it obviously immediately in the first round as he went out and shot uh, something in the 60s where he was, I think, 5 under, something along those lines. And and so I just sort of been sitting there kind of the whole week. The thing was, Sam Burns uh, takes such a lead that you go, okay, well, he seems like he's going to run away with this. Maybe I should just, um, maybe it's better off that I didn't bet him, I didn't bet on Scott, and we'll just take our you know, a survivor, you know, win, so to speak, and advance to the next round. And then Saturday rolls around, and what a mess that was with, like, wind, and it was so windy they couldn't even play, which sounds sort of insane, um, that they wouldn't just say, okay, everybody out there, you're going to, it's going to be rough, but you're going to have to do it. Um, and, you know, Sam Burns eventually drops a couple of shots, and now he's just two strokes back. And all of this is getting somewhere from a, um, you know, activation standpoint or a learning standpoint or whatever. Uh, and the point is, is, you know, he goes down to a two-shot lead over Homa, uh, Dustin Johnson, and Matthew Fitzpatrick. And when a golf, you know, a sports book with regards to a golf tournament starts creating numbers in and around the tournament, there's obviously a name brand element to this. And so the point is on Sunday with you know, 18 full holds left and only two shots back. Homa was eight to one. And so it wasn't simply as much as I tweeted out that, you know, kind of funny, it was a fear of missing out, a FOMO for Homa. It was a hashtag Homa FOMO. Um, Got to be careful when you're saying that too quickly. Um, 
you know, he's sitting there at eight to one. You know, Matthew Fitzpatrick was like five to one. Like Dustin Johnson was like, I think, plus 250, something along those lines. And the leader, Sam Burns, you know, two shot lead. But that was only good enough to be like plus 300. Like I think DJ was actually the favorite going into that tournament. And so the point is, is like, why is DJ favored? Well, because he is the number one golfer in the world. And there's just this assumption that he, you know, based on obviously his resume, is going to do better than everybody else, that he is going to win this more likely than the guy who is two shots ahead of him or a couple of these other guys who are in the mix right with him and obviously guys behind him, including Tony Finau, who's a whole other story that we'll sort of talk about in a second. And so DJ, the thing is with DJ, like he's just as capable as anybody else of having a bad day. And when DJ's on, he's going to smoke the rest of the field. But if he's on it's usually sort of a three or four day event of Dustin Johnson just absolutely crushing people. And so if he truly was on, even if you never even watched any of the holes throughout the entire week, and if you did, you often saw him spraying drives left and right, um, more often left. Uh, but, you know, if you, you would see him doing that, you'd be like, oh, well, he's not that on, but like he's still two shots back and he's still Dustin Johnson. So... If I'm, if I'm watching and I'm seeing that he's not particularly on this week and the odds think that he is, you know, why would I pay that price for a sort of B, B to B plus, even maybe even a B minus version of Dustin Johnson? Because we have to understand, like, it's like a lot of other sports. You know, we talk about hockey all the time being this really tight, like any team can beat anybody on any given day, regardless of their sort of rating going into the game. Same kind of thing with golf. If guys are playing really well, like I will take, you know, an A plus Max Homa who's been playing, you know, five straight weeks and has been sort of vaguely in contention just outside of the top five. Even sneak, I think he snuck in for a top five year there. But a guy who's been in the mix for five straight weeks, like he's obviously, you know, playing better than his quote unquote reputation. Matthew Fitzpatrick, you know, been around for a little while, like playing on like Ryder Cups and stuff like that, obviously more famous than Max Homa. Do I think, you know, Fitzpatrick is better than Max Homa? I certainly do not. And so, you know, why is he getting uh, that treatment versus Homa, who actually has won um, a relatively decent tournament, um, you know, in uh, Quail Hollow, I believe it was. Anyway, so the point is, is like this, like anything else, is like branding, right? You're getting plus, you know, you're getting eight to one and you're in the exact same starting position as you are with Dustin Johnson and you are with Matthew Fitzpatrick. And the only reason that you're getting such a, you know, really great price here is based on branding. But Homo's played just as well as those other guys over the course of basically the start of the year here. So again, whether or not like he's got a podcast and obviously that, you know, has... Um, me more interested in him sort of doing well because I want to, you know, it's not that much fun, you know, oh, I was 40th this week and like listen to the podcast talk about how the guy was 40th. You know, you rather sort of have him totally stink or rather have him be amazing just for the content, right? This podcast would arguably be more entertaining if we hit 
you know, if we were at college basketball, 40%, and I, you know, had to turn the mic on every uh, Monday after, you know, rough weekend after rough weekend. Like, fortunately, that's just not the case here. I'm sure, you know, there certainly will be. There will be worse weekends to come. Uh, but, you know, again, that's what we're, that's, that's what we're doing here. So, um, obviously, like, that sort of brings a spotlight to him from that standpoint. But if I'm paying attention two leaderboards every Sunday, and that's kind of when I tune in, other than Friday, like, with regards to make or miss the cut. If I'm paying attention, like, these are the guys that you have to understand. Like, if they are playing well, it kind of doesn't really matter what their name is. Because, and listen, maybe Holman's not, you know, by the time the Masters rolls around and sort of major season, maybe he sort of lost it, and you're getting sort of a B-minus Max Homa, which isn't going to be good enough to win. And maybe Bryson DeChambeau and the Rory McIlroys and Justin Thomas, like they've, you know, ramped up for major season because these guys are playing for sort of different things. And you see how emotional Max Homa got after winning because that was really important to him. It's not that important to Rory McIlroy. It's not particularly important to Justin Thomas. Sure, like the money's great. If they had won, they'd been psyched about it. But like their career doesn't change with that win. For Max Homa, it does change. And that matters to him more. And so that's why, you know, even just going into the last round against, you know, Dustin Johnson, I'd rather a guy who, who cares about it more. Now, maybe that could be detrimental and you get to the point where you have, you know, a level of nerves on that three-foot putt on 18 that he lifts out. And frankly, it's a good putt. Like, it just, you know, it's like a bet. Again, I, you know, keep making these parallels, but it's like a bet. It's sometimes it's a really good bet that just doesn't win. Sometimes it's a really good putt that just doesn't fall in it because it's, you know, slightly too hard that it, you know, is unwilling to just sort of, you know, use gravity to fall into the hole. And so that sort of um, frames everything from the weekend with regards to good bets, bad bets, what wins, what doesn't. And fortunately for us, it means an eight unit bump on our weekend that, you know, whether you were betting all hockey or betting all basketball, like obviously you would have a, a drastically different opinion about how the weekend went. If you bet everything, uh, you know, it's essentially, you know, at or around a break even type of a weekend. And so that bump, you know, puts us eight units up on you know what could have been a split weekend again depending on what your general betting practices are and whether or not you're really tailing you know what we're talking about on here so um last thing actually about the golf uh sort of unrelated to max homa um the idea of record keeping and we talk about it all the time right like this record oh what's your record what's this what's that whatever and the point of this podcast is to talk about these bets and sure, maybe they win, maybe they lose. But, you know, if you live through them, you can then get an understanding of whether we're, you know, if you've just shown up in the last couple of weeks, whether we're doing this right or whether, you know, we're completely out to left, you know, left field. You know, let's say Max Homa gets into that playoff and he gets stuck by that tree. And he's unable to pull off, frankly, you know, at the time I called it, like, if he can do this, this is one of the hero shots of all time. And I tweeted out, as somebody who almost exclusively hits chips from directly next to trees, uh, I can't tell you how impressed I was by that shot. But the point is, if he goes and he makes par and, you know, Finau makes birdie, you know, are you sitting there going, well, like, I went 0-1 today. 
If, for instance, you had maybe you had Fina, who I think going into that final round was at like 20 to 1 or something along those lines because he had to shoot 7 under just to get into a playoff. So if you have Fina, you're the one person who had faith in Tony Fina to win that tournament, especially being, you know, whatever he was, five, six shots back. And you go ahead and you make that bet. And then you're sitting there with a 20 to 1 who is, you know, minus 1,000 as Max Home is up against that tree. And you don't end up winning that bet. In this moment, you're sitting there going like, man, like I really deserved better there. And like, what a great bet that was and all of that sort of thing. But if somebody asks you, you know, say it's the only bet that you make in golf this entire season for whatever reason. But if somebody asks you six months, six months from now, what's your record bet in golf? Your record's 0-1. You know, you're not going to go into the story of like, you know, why that loss is a loss and like how close and how great of a bet that that was. Right. So, you know, when we talk about like record keeping in this sort of very strict way, yeah, obviously it makes sense from like a long term standpoint. But in the short term, if I had come out and said instead of Max Homa on Sunday morning, if I had said Tony Finau, I got to say that's a better bet than Max Homa was based on everything that happened. And so I'm not going to beat myself up about losing that. But again, over the course of, you know, X amount of months or weeks or years or whoever, you know, you're going to be sitting there going like, yeah, it's still just as it's a one in the loss column. And so that cha- that shifts us over uh, to college basketball. Um, and, and speaking of record keeping, because over the course of Saturday, you know, we first game, we get absolutely trounced, uh, bad call straight up. Yeah. Like, you know, Miami gets absolutely killed. And then we go on this run where, you know, I think we hit like eight out of nine throughout the rest of the day. And the one that we didn't hit was, I mean, UConn, you're right there with Villanova the entire game, a brutal non-call right at the end that might've got us under the number, but they end up not covering essentially by a half point, you know, plus seven, plus seven and a half, they lose by eight. And then the next loss that we have is Pittsburgh and Florida State. Now, Florida State had a 10-point lead, so relatively late in the second half. So this wasn't a bad beat by any means. But you get down to it, and it's a three-point, you know, four-point game with 30 seconds left. And you've got plus six. And so there's a very real chance that you're going to cover this game. And then they don't because, you know, free throw stuff happens. And even the last shot was a three-pointer by Pittsburgh's best player. And if that goes down, you get this sort of backdoor cover and all of that kind of thing. And you go, man, we just lost the UConn game by a point. We lost the Pittsburgh game by a half point or a point and a half, depending on your number. And then you're looking at all the games that we won. And it's like Illinois minus four by a billion. LSU minus four by a billion. Like Kansas, you know, wire to wire winner uh, at minus one and a half. Uh, underdogs winning outright with regards to like Georgetown, for example. And so you're sitting there going like, man, we are getting all of these wins in incredibly sort of easy fashion and the losses are coming down to you know free throws and whatnot at the end right like Vanderbilt plus 14 never really in doubt because Alabama just sort of phoned that game in Kentucky plus seven and a half I turn the game on and they're up 15 points never in doubt even outright and by the way another sort of plus six plus seven and a half outright winner there And so you're sitting there going like, man, my record is going to be whatever my record is for the day, whether it's like eight and three at the time. And you're like, man, two of these games, if they just go a little bit, you know, the other way, now we're talking about 10 and one. And if you guys are, you know, 
with me on these bets and you're watching these games sort of whether you've bet them or not and you go like yeah like these winners are incredibly easy and these losses come down to the last you know free throw now there was two of the losses you know like i said the miami one and the nebraska one as well that didn't come down to it but go through the wins like mississippi you know another one mississippi state winner from like start to finish right winner outright as plus seven underdogs and so eventually we get you know had some closer games iowa state plus 12 that was just a number that was sort of you know a little, just a little bit too high which we talked about on friday um oregon state gets there in that sort of free throw type thing so it does sort of even out but you're just sitting there going wow like I'm going to be sitting here going like, man, I really handicapped all of these well. We didn't win any of these 50-50 late game scenario type things. And we're going to end up, you know, eight and five or something like that. And, you know, we end up getting some wins at the end there for an 11-4. Uh, like I said, gave two back on Sunday. Shout out to the world who was on Michigan tried to sort of fade that i felt like that was kind of a coin flip game uh and listen one of the weirder plays play that you know takes a lot for me to see a play that i've literally never seen before but the behind the back pass on the screen and roll where two different screeners aren't watching the ball and it's literally bouncing away just mere feet from the ohio state players and it felt like it was you know, 10 seconds, it was probably like one and a half seconds, but it felt like that 10 seconds of that ball was just rolling down the court. And of course, Michigan gets it. And it's a three point game turns into a five point game. And it was probably game from there. Uh, and then Rutgers are really just disappointing. You know, speaking of games that were not even close from a loss standpoint, that was definitely one with regards to Rutgers. But could have been a bigger day, could have been a bit of a bigger weekend um, on Saturday. And the one thing I wanted to sort of talk about here is the Friday episode and it going forward where, you know, I do the Friday episode on Friday morning and it's, okay, let's get these numbers out there. This is what my numbers are. Um, and then, you know, come Saturday, we'll actually put the bets in because we'll know what the, what the point spreads are. And so a couple of games that I wanted to kind of point to, mostly in the Pac-12, and they're both the Arizona and LA teams, right? So Arizona, USC, and I came on, I talked about how my number was USC minus one and a half, and that that was probably going to be a little bit short in favor of USC because Arizona had just lost to UCLA and they had lost uh, to Oregon on the weekend, et cetera, et cetera. But the number is what the number is. Well, the number comes out and it's seven and a half. And so in theory, like that should be an absolute banger on Arizona plus seven and a half, but it's almost too much um, out of the realm of what my number was that it scared me away. Same thing, Arizona State, UCLA, my number two and a half for UCLA. The number comes out UCLA minus nine. <laughs> and another one where I'm like, uh, like I'm paralyzed because like Arizona State plus nine, like of course i have to bet that but like what am i missing and maybe it's you know going through the college football season and this college basketball season and being terrified about you know covid news and things that i'm i don't i'm not privy to as far as like insider information but who may or may not play where i just go okay i have to stay away from those games depaul st john's my number was nine and a half talked about it on the show opens 12 and a half after the show do i hit depaul nope they win outright that was not even close forget about getting three points of value how about 12 and a half points off um you know plus you know whatever the margin was for depaul winning uh and then syracuse you know my ban on betting on syracuse when my number was four and a half 
opens three and a half, goes down to two and a half. Notre Dame actually takes a big lead, and I saw that, and I was like, oh, okay, glad I didn't bet Syracuse. You know, glad I, the, the Syracuse suspension is still in play, only to find out Syracuse comes back and wins by seven, eight points, something along those lines. So there's four different games in there that, you know, whether it's, you know, being afraid to bet on games involving Syracuse or being afraid of, you know, points that, uh, you know, numbers that are being so, that are so far off of what you have, there's four more wins there. And you're saying, well, there's got to be some losses in there off of numbers that you're way off on. And the answer is not ones that we didn't bet because <laughs> they were all pretty much bang on. Um, and the ones that weren't, you know, we bet them. And some of them that were pretty bang on, we still bet them anyway. And, you know, we either won or we lost. But the record is, um, you know, indicative of that. And so, you know, just goes to show for the Friday episode Maybe you have, maybe you can stomach the six point difference and you don't think that anything is untoward. Maybe you have more information about, you know, UCLA, Arizona State, for example, and that you can listen to the show and be like, well, Matt has UCLA at minus two and a half. The number is nine. Like, that's too high. Let's bet Arizona State. By the way, I didn't even mention it. UCLA one by one. So whose number was right? Obviously, it's a one game sample size. So I should, you know, shouldn't be so glib about it. But you know, is what it is. Um, so enough Saturday sort of back padding here. Um, actually, one more thing, uh, and it sort of segues nicely into Monday. The, you know, this wasn't a number advantage thing, but we talked about a sleepy spot for Oregon after that big win against Colorado, right? We talked about that, obviously cashed with them on the Thursday, you know, super late night game. And then Saturday rolls around. It's like, are you going to be up to beat Utah by double digits? And again, I didn't really want to mess with it because I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to fade Oregon here, a team that obviously we're pretty high on. And they win by three. So thankfully, they ended up pulling out a victory. Um, but yet another game that if you were sort of listening to the Friday show and taking everything in as sort of like concrete or whatever, uh, you would have had a nicer day than 11 and four. So hopefully people out there um, were at least sort of gleaning something from that and able to grab a couple of winners, uh, a couple more winners than I was even able to. Um, but the point of talking about Oregon here is that they play tonight in yet another sort of big time showdown game in the Pac-12, this time a road game as they go to Los Angeles to uh, play a game that was supposed to be played, you know, one of the billion Oregon games that was postponed earlier on this season. So they have now a weird Monday night game uh, at USC. They are four-point underdogs. Um, easy to sort of like Oregon in this game, and I've made the bet. This isn't like a banger, like we got to hit this for sure, like, you know, game of the year type situation. You know, USC lost, obviously, to Arizona on Saturday. Certainly an element, you know, if you watch that team, you go a lot of athletes, man, a lot of really good athletes, a lot of, you know, pro type uh, bodies out there. And obviously uh, in uh, in Mobley, there's a guy who's, you know, you watch him play and you're like, I don't know why the NBA is not going to draft this guy first overall. Um, but that being said, you know, plus four seems a little bit high. So we'll take a shot with it. It's again, you know, losing a road game where you're an underdog against a team that's in the top 25 isn't the end of the world if Oregon loses this game, right? I think, you know, they've solidified their spot as of right now. I mean, obviously, if they lose the rest of their games, maybe not. But they've solidified, you know, their spot in the tournament. It's really just now opportunity to move up in the seeding. And if they're able to win this game outright, you know, again, that's the attention, right? We talk about in college basketball futures, getting attention from people 
to move them both up a seed line as we approach you know three weeks away from selection sunday and move them in the marketplace moving upwards probably the only bet that i'm going to make tonight uh the other big time games duke uh, i made the game minus five and a half it is five and a half actually sort of dip into five here against syracuse this one's more of a let's just sit back and watch duke again you know we we're cashed with them on you know against virginia we're going to watch this final push to see if they can get into the tournament and it's very easy for those of us who don't care for duke as a general has its general existence um it's very easy to sort of be like man i wish they you know hope they don't make the tournament that said if duke and say north carolina and you know even kentucky let's say they win the sec tournament because i think that's what they would need to do to get in if they all make the tournament as like 10 11 seeds the tournament's just going to be more interesting like it just is right and so you know duke in an 11 to 6 11 6 matchup where they're favored against you know god knows who um you know in the first round same thing with north carolina in their current state and potentially kentucky as they you know in theory get hot here down the stretch it's just it's just more interesting if these teams are involved and it'll you know it's almost like a hate watch type of a thing uh, and then the third game oklahoma state at home to texas tech feels like a spot where you want to be backing oklahoma state my numbers made this two and a half for texas tech and uh, it opens one and a half, and so sort of interested there. Um, not necessarily embedding in Texas Tech, but just sort of interesting that it it opened uh, closer to Oklahoma State. In that, you know, obviously somebody out there from a you know sports book standpoint uh, also was interested in in betting on Oklahoma State because a lot of these sports books like they make the number. You know, as much as people say they want to make the number so that they're equal on either sides, a lot of cases they're just betting on a team too. Right, and they're betting on the team, you know, at plus one ten, while we're paying minus one ten. So, you know, they make this bet, uh, making the number plus at one and a half on Oklahoma State. Then there's news that we are actually somehow privy to that Isaac Likely is questionable for the game. And other than Cade Cunningham, Isaac Likely is probably the best uh, or the most important player to their chances of winning. And so the number moves from one and a half up to two and a half up to three. There's even a plus three plus 100 out there. And so I guess the point is obviously that move is the, you know, based on the fact that he may not play, but let's say he does play and you're saying, oh, wow, likely he's playing. Like Matt said, he was really important, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're getting plus three, uh, which was the number that moved after the sort of announcement was that he might not play. And now we're getting him to play and the number hasn't moved back or you're beating it to, you know, you're beating to the number. But my number was two and a half in the first place. And that was with likely in. That was with likely likely. Um, so I don't know that like, even if it was announced that he's in and the numbers plus three, like I don't know that it's like, you know, hide the women and children. We're going diving into this game. It's just going to be probably appropriately priced at that point. And so if you're betting it at plus three and then he doesn't play, you know, I think he has to mean a point, point and a half. So maybe the line should be four. So all in all, this is sort of a long way to say that maybe this is just a stay away from this standpoint. And maybe Oregon plus four is the only play that we make from a college basketball standpoint. 
no futures to add or anything like that to our portfolio. Kind of was looking at UConn just based on the fact that Book Knight was back. I think they played really well against uh, Villanova, and then he just got tired. So then some of the other guys just started jacking up shots late in that game. It was kind of frustrating to watch. Um, as he gets his sea legs back, right, his basketball legs back, if you will, um, that's a team that's going to improve. They're going to probably make the tournament. They're probably going to cause a disturbance. But disturbance teams, are we need them to be about 100 to 1 at this point, right? You know, this is not, you know, a team that we think can go to the Final Four in the way that like an Oregon at plus 700 or plus uh, uh, 70 to 1, I should say, um, you know, is that type of a team. Same thing with like our 30 to 1s and our 50 to 1s and like North Carolina and you got your West Virginias and all that kind of thing. I'm going to need a little bit better of a price on UConn to sort of take that flyer. So um, just thought that was maybe worth mentioning if um, if maybe your sportsbook has them at 100 to 1. Maybe that loss bumps them back down to 100 to 1. So might be worth a flyer there for, again, this would be a hedge type situation. Um, that's the story for college basketball, which means we got to finish the show with... As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. That's right. Thank you very much, Laszlo. Let's do that hockey and the model. And so, you know, I alluded to this earlier on in the episode, rough, rough weekend for the model here, but we got to dive a little bit deeper into what, you know, actually happened. So over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, 0 for 3 on Friday, 1 uh, one and 3 on Saturday, and then 0 for 1 yesterday uh, for the model, for 1 and 7 overall in the last three days, which puts the brakes on what was a pretty nice little heater on the ice there. And again, this is why we can't talk about having hot streaks because the minute you start talking about having hot streaks you know the gambling gods will kick you right in the pants and so let's go through these games real quickly here and then we'll talk about the games for tonight went a little bit longer than i intended to on that first segment um but you know friday night vancouver and winnipeg uh we grab vancouver basically you know pick them you know minus 105 minus 110 along those lines we get you know the Winnipeg backup goaltender is in and listen I think pretty highly of Laurent Brossard so I'm not saying like the backup goaltender like we gotta win you know have to uh beat that guy but you know it's a one nothing game essentially uh it's you know Shifley Mark Shifley one of the better snipers in the league he gets a breakaway off of sort of a junky play by the Canucks and he converts that breakaway and you know the Canucks are just unable to score in that game but at the end of the day, right, what's the model do? The model is supposed to try to predict, as obviously as best as possible we can, the expected goals for five-on-five, five, right? Or five-on-five five play in general, whether it's high-danger chances or expected goals for, oftentimes those go hand-in-hand. Hand. Well, the Canucks are 3.07 on the expected goals for, which is like a top you know, three game for them from an offensive creation standpoint. They don't get it, you know, they don't get any goals and their expectation five on five beyond even, you know, what the expectation might have been on the power play. Their five on five expectation was supposed to be three goals. Winnipeg's was two. They got one, right? So like, okay, that makes some sense. Um, but yeah, by and large, just incredibly frustrating when you sort of go, okay, they they played well enough to score three goals sort of in an average night, and they got absolutely none of them. So you shrug your shoulders and you go, okay, whatever. Edmonton-Calgary on Friday. Um, Edmonton, you know, we, we're on Calgary. Edmonton's 1.26 
to carry 1.64. The high danger chances were 7-7, right? A very evenly played game. Calgary just doesn't get the, you know, just doesn't get the victory. You go, okay, you know, a lot easier to stomach, really, than the Vancouver and Winnipeg game. Then we've got the Detroit uh, matchup here with uh, Florida. Um, and they lose the first game, uh, despite... 2.46 expected goals to 1.77, so they did a better job, and they lost that game relatively handily to some, due to some you know poor goaltending early on in the first period. And then Detroit actually plays worse in the second game. We were able to bet them again at plus 150, and that's what's sort of the good part about these back-to-back -back games is that if you feel like you're on the right side of that first game at plus money, you can get back in on the second game and you know come out on top and so we end up winning on saturday with plus 150 with detroit and so we end up taking a half unit on that matchup it just would have preferred that happening on friday and then we could have stayed away from the game entirely on saturday and just been up one and a half on that you know back-to-back -back matchup so you know you should again type of thing where you know misfortune right like there was nothing to say that like florida was going to be uh, it was going to win that first game versus the second game because, to be honest with you, Detroit probably win, you know, deserved to uh, win that first game uh, a little bit more than they did. Not from a scoreboard standpoint, but from like an expected goals for metric standpoint. Um, so that starts Saturday pretty well in that you're, you know, plus 150, you're loving that. Then Montreal and Toronto. And, you know, I got a preview out for Toronto and Calgary tonight. And I think it spells out pretty well the concept of luck and the concept of, you know, mathematical outliers and like what we're actually supposed to expect from these teams. So check that out for the Calgary Toronto game, but Montreal Toronto, again, five on five, Montreal 1.66 expected goals for Toronto 1.14 uh, Montreal 11 high danger chances at even strength Toronto seven. And again, if you want to keep betting the team who's getting less high danger chances, if you want to keep betting the team who is expected to score fewer goals even after the game is played, go right ahead. And if you want to do that at prices the way that, you know, Toronto is getting these prices at, you know, minus 115, minus 120 on the road, you know, minus 170 at home, like these outrageous prices, I mean, go right ahead. Toronto gets three power play goals. So in the preview for tonight, I sort of spell out, like, it's not hard to understand mathematically. If a team who has a really, really good power play, which should be good for about 25%, if they get four power play opportunities, they should score a goal in that game. If a team who, on average, scores at 15% of their high danger chances, and they get a league average eight high danger chances, that's one goal in that game. So the average game where you get eight high danger chances, five on five, and you get four power plays, you get two goals. Well, most games end three to two, four to two empty net like that in that kind of range. So how do you get that third goal? How do you get more than just two goals? Well, you either need to be unusually great on the power play. So if you get four opportunities, you now need to score twice. You need to be 50% on the power play, which is just not a thing that exists in the world and never has. Or you need to be unusually good at converting your eight high danger scoring chances, right? You need to be hitting at 25%, two out of eight. It doesn't really happen. I mean, it happens from a game to game standpoint, and that's sort of the point here. The one thing that you can control is getting more of these chances. So if you get 16 high danger chances, even at a 15% rate, now you're getting two goals, five on five. And throw in another goal on your power play because you had four power play opportunities. That's great too. 
If you have eight power play opportunities, now it's more reasonable to expect you to score two power play goals because that's two out of eight, 25%. Problem is, to get eight power plays, you probably have to be much better than the other team, right? Because then they're constantly in a position where they have to take penalties. You don't see very many games where one team gets eight power play opportunities. You will see more frequently a team get 16 high danger scoring chances because they are just playing that much better than the other team. And so if the Leafs are getting 16 high danger scoring chances, and if they were getting six to eight power plays a game, then we'd go like, yeah, of course this makes sense that they would win these games, but their metrics would change, right? They would become more improved in, in the model's rating. They wouldn't just be 4.5% above average 5 on 5. And the reason they're 4.5%, listen, I wish they were 40.5%. I'd bet on them all the time. But at 4.5%, relative to the prices that they're getting here, you just can't do it. But yet they get three power play goals against Montreal on Saturday night, right? They get a five on three goal. Of course, that's going to go in. So not all power play goals are necessarily created equal. But even if they had two power play goals in this game, right? Like that's a more reasonable ex expectation from a game state type standpoint. So you sort of shrug your shoulders and you go, Leafs again, pulling it off. Talk about in the episode, uh, or excuse me, in the preview about, um, you know, Toronto here, not having, you know, as much as their power play is really efficient, they don't get that many power play opportunities. They're like sixth worst in the league or something along those lines. You have to check the preview to find out the exact number because I forget it. Um, and it's like, well, okay, so they're obviously not dominating. You know, they're not taking, you know, they're not getting a billion power plays and scoring that way. They are just at a historically good level at scoring on the power play. And that's in part almost exclusively because Austin Matthews is at an historically great level of scoring. And for me, I rather bet against historically good things or bad things. I rather bet against the historical. I rather bet towards the mean. What's the most likely thing to happen? Because the most likely thing isn't that, you know, Austin Matthews is going to score 50 goals in 55 total games this season. It's more likely that he has a sort of slower, you know, run here. Maybe somebody, you know, puts a little more emphasis on not allowing him one-timers or, you know, checking him a little bit better because he's not the greatest player in the history of hockey. He is turning into one of those players, and, I, and don't get me wrong, but as great as he has been, all of this stuff is factored in to the metrics. He's not stealing goals from other people the way like if a guy goes for 50 points a night in basketball, it probably means that if he had just gone for 30, that other guys would have made up those 20 points. Because the metrics are saying still, even with this historically good performance, it's still just, all right, when it comes to a team-wide thing. And that's what matters the team-wide statistics because that's who's playing. So this isn't a without or with Austin Matthews thing. This is with him. These numbers are what they are. So again, a little frustrating there. Calgary and Edmonton. Didn't watch the game. Saw the score. 7-1. was like, man, Edmonton smoked Calgary. We, you know, the model was not even close on that game. Then I click on, you know, go to the natural stat, excuse me, naturalstattrick.com. And I see, okay, well, what was the actual situation? How bad was it? And the answer is not. Calgary 2.76 expected goals for to 1.28 for Edmonton. 17 high danger chances for Calgary 
Edmonton had just 10. Edmonton converted three of those 10. Calgary converted zero of those 17. Edmonton also threw in three power play goals, a la Toronto earlier in the night. And so you go, okay, wow, that is one misleading score right there. But if you're going to score every time, quote unquote, every time you get a legitimate scoring opportunity, again, as defined either by a high danger chance five on five or a power play at large, if you're going to score every time, then yeah, you're going to win a lot of games. But again, if the model is only designed to predict who is going to have the better chances or the more chances to score, the higher number of chances to score, then it's doing its job. It did its job with Vancouver and Winnipeg in the first game. It did its job with Montreal-Toronto. It did its job with Calgary and Edmonton. It got zero wins out of all of that. Finally on Saturday, one that was just way off and, you know, again, wouldn't be a big deal if we were getting sort of fair results here on some of these other games. But Columbus stunk it up against Nashville. Watched a fair amount of that game. And that game, even though it was 2-2 going into the third, deserved to be much, much worse. And so that one you just sort of go, okay, well, that's a loss. And it, that'd be one thing if it was a 3-1 and one night, you know, a 4-2 and two type weekend. And you'd be like, okay, well, we were off on one. Just a little frustrating when we're not getting the ones that we probably deserve to get. And speaking of games that we deserve to get, the, the, the finale of the weekend, the PS de resistance, if you will, Winnipeg and Vancouver, the rematch. Vancouver gets a 2-0 lead, so even on the scoreboard, you're like, all right, here we go, we're going to get this one. They're outplaying Winnipeg to the tune of 2.48 expected goals for to 1.42, which again, pretty similar to Friday's event where it was 307 to 208 right? Over the course of the weekend, let's add them all up, right? 3.07 plus 2.48, that's 5.55. Two Winnipeg's what? Uh, 2.08 and 1.42, which is 3.52. Vancouver was the better team for two games. They had a 2-0 lead last night. They slowly washed that away, and they didn't wash it away by getting outplayed, because as we just mentioned, the expected goals for are what they were, the high danger chances, 11 to 4, for Vancouver. They even were, and even then, they were down three to two late in the game. They get a tying goal to force overtime. Overtime takes roughly 10 seconds before Pierre Luc Dubois scores the overtime winner. And this brings up sort of the final point is when we're talking about players being in and out of the lineup. Do they matter? Does this player matter? Blah, blah, blah. So Pierre Luc Dubois hadn't played for four games. He's announced that he's back in, and you look at it and you go, like, Pierre Luc Dubois can't possibly matter relative in a one-game money line price type situation. It's not possible. Well, he scores two goals, has an assist, <laughs> gets the game-winning goal in overtime. So this was the day that Pierre-Luc Dubois mattered in a meaningful way. Sure. Of course he did. So, again, uh, from bad to worse from across the board here from a hockey standpoint, but to be honest with you, we were pretty good as far as the model was concerned because in those eight games, six of those games, we had the higher expected goals for as the models designed. In two of them, we didn't. One of those was the Columbus-Nashville second game that I talked about Columbus being awful in. And then the other one was one that we won with Detroit in the second game where they probably didn't deserve to win that second game, probably deserve to have a you know, better criteria to win the first game 
in the first instance. So again, over the course of 100, 200, whatever plays, this will get sort of lost in the ether. Uh, you know, we talk about record keeping, right? And you go one and seven, like that's brutal, but it's like the model's doing what it's supposed to do. We just had a bad run of expected goals for not translating into actual wins. As for tonight, as mentioned, two previews on the actionnetwork.com, the action app. Uh, Calgary plus 155 at this point. We've talked at length about the importance of, you know, from a money line standpoint, plus 150 being a key number in trying to grab that. Um, so go and check that out. One last thing I want to talk about with regards to Toronto, just sort of punch this home. Toronto's 14, 3 and 2. So you look at that and you go, wow, like on this, you know, up there on the standings, you're like the top of the standings, like clearly ahead of everybody else in the division. 14, 3 and 2 is very sort of like just impressive to look at. Well, I did the math yesterday, and if you bet to win a unit, I don't know who these sickos are who just bet a unit and then take whatever they can get. Like, I don't know what you'd bet a unit on minus 300 so that you can win a third of a unit. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, for, but if you're betting to win a unit on the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, despite the fact that they have that record that they do, you would only, and I say only in quotation marks because you are up, but you'd only be up 4.8 units on the season. 4.8 units on the season with that record. So think about if the record wasn't essentially it's 14 and 5 from a betting standpoint. If they weren't 14 and 5, where would you be here given the fact that they're favored in every one of these games? Two more games, two games going from win column to loss column is probably going to result in that going away completely because they're by and large average favorite of about minus 130, minus 150 depending on who they play. But instead of winning a unit on two of those games, right, you're now losing three units at minus 150 on each side. So that's a five-unit swing. So that's the thin line here. And, and what's required of Toronto, when I talk about the prices for Toronto, the requirement is that they go 14 and 5 for you to be profitable. And if it was four, if it was uh, what, 12 and 7, if they were 12 and 7, still good for first place in the, in the division. If they were 12 and 7, you would be down this year betting on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Food for thought when we're talking about prices. Um, finally tonight, Tampa Bay. Minus 125, not necessarily a value play for the model. One thing that I was kicking myself for on Saturday was not betting Carolina. My model showed like all kinds of value on Carolina because the price was, again, close to you know, it was one, plus 135, something along those lines. And then they had the third string goaltender in there, Neljokovic, or that's going to be a brutalized pronunciation of his name. Um, but the, he goes and he gets a shutout. And I'm not going to, you know, I talk about in the preview for the Action Network, you know, I'm not going to kick myself. I'm not going to beat myself up about that because the guy had gave up, gave up 10 goals in the previous three games. And all of a sudden he's shutting out the cup champs, right? Again, when we talk outliers here, you know, we're not, it's not the front page news because we didn't bet it, but like that's a pretty ridiculous, like, good fortune when it comes to Carolina. Tampa Bay hadn't played in a week, so they got kind of jammed up from a goaltending standpoint in that, you know, they go to Dallas, they're unable to play in those two games, probably wasn't a particularly fun trip. Then they go to Carolina and they offensively were still able to create. So that was impressive given that like they could have easily laid an egg in that game, um, but uh, didn't get a, you know, great goaltending. And I think, you know, they thought that they were going to need uh, you know, their best goaltender for Dallas. And then he doesn't play. And so that's why they end up going with Curtis McElhaney 
in the last game against Florida, he ends up gets you know getting his doors blown off. They lose that game, and you go, okay, well at least we're going back to number one here for the trip to Dallas, and you're just going, okay, like Vasilevsky doesn't get to play in these two games, and now it's been a week, right? Because he you know obviously he didn't play against Florida, he didn't play the two games that were supposed to happen against Dallas. And so that'll get you sort of out of your rhythm. And going up against a really good team in Carolina, like that's not ideal for him. And so I expect him to have more of a rhythm uh, against Carolina tonight. I think expect Carolina to go back to Reimer, who hasn't been playing very well because he's frankly just not very good. Uh, and if they don't, if they go back to Nedeljkovic, oh, that's so bad, but it's a really tricky name. Um <laughs> If they go back to him, I'm like, I don't expect him to have another shutout. I expect him to be the guy who gave up 10 goals in the previous three games that he played. And so I like Tampa Bay sort of not as, uh, it's not anti-value necessarily, but it's at a better price of minus 125. When you factor in, like it was minus 150, minus 160 on Saturday. So the price makes more sense uh, with a sensical price the way that it is. I'm happy to take Tampa Bay here on the road uh, against Carolina. Uh, and then finally, my number is exactly uh, what the price is on Dallas and Florida. Interesting sort of development there. We've been talking all season or for much of the season about how Bobrovsky's not very good. And Chris Dreger is better than he is. And Florida, you know, how long is it, you know, is Florida going to commit to Bobrovsky here? Um, given the fact that he's just not as good. And they sort of announced today that like Dreger's going to get the start again. And Bobrovsky will get a chance to get the net back when you're paying a guy 10 million bucks a year. That's probably a pretty good strategy to get, give him an opportunity to get the net back. But at least it shows that the Panthers are aware that their goaltending situation is what it is. And they're not super, super stubborn about it. Um, so interesting to watch that situation going forward. Uh, we're back tomorrow. More college hoops talk uh, and a ton of games in our half of the NHL as well for Tuesday night. So looking forward to that. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Spotify, the whole gang. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.